Hello, friends. And before we get to this episode of the 360 Experience, I have a special announcement for you of something that I'm incredibly excited about. It's a project that I've been working on for over a year, and it is my hopes that this changes the mortgage industry forever. A learning management system that is geared towards changing the way that you think, the way that you learn, and the way that you find success in the mortgage business. And it covers every topic you can think of. Sales, marketing, customer service, leadership, time management, culture, personal development, and the list goes on. And it's delivered in a unique way with support materials that are gonna help you execute at a level that you've never executed before. It is backed by the finest and most giving faculty that's ever been assembled in the mortgage industry. People that you've heard on this show over the last several months. In addition, we are creating a culture of mortgage professionals who think the same way and want to help each other. Folks, welcome to the Loan Atlas. And it is my pleasure to announce and bring it to you. The Loan Atlas goes live in early January and you can sign up to be a founding member by simply clicking on the link below and entering the waitlist. We're gonna have a huge discounted price for founding members, so go check it out. Learn more about what we're doing to change the mortgage industry. We hope that you become a member so we can guide you through this journey of having more success in your business and in your life. Now, for another episode of the 360 Experience Podcast. Well, hello, friends, and welcome once again to another episode of the 360 Experience Podcast, and happy 2024. I hope your holidays were wonderful. I am your host, Tim Brahim, and today's episode is a very special episode. I've decided to bring in not just one, but five guests into this podcast. And these guests are some of the great teachers in the industry, and we're gonna be sharing with you over the next 90 minutes. This is one you need to set the time aside and listen to in its entirety. The combined total of years in the business between my guests is 115 years tenured in the mortgage industry and over $6.5 billion in production. And that doesn't include my production numbers or my tenure in the mortgage industry. Craig Strent, Josh Burris, Tyler Osby, Ryan Grant, and Josh Metal. Today, you're going to learn about databasing. You're going to learn about pursuing financial planners. You're gonna learn about how to build your confidence in this very challenging time. You're going to also learn about how to host lunch and learns and pursuit of real estate agents. And finally, you're gonna learn about budgeting, which is a very important topic for all of us, making sure that we are bringing in more money, of course, than we are spending, which is something that Josh Metal is gonna to talk to us about. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode, take notes. And as a side, once again, if you're not a subscriber, please hit subscribe. That's how I can get great guests like these five to come and join me all at one time. The more that we increase our subscriber base, the better. And if you like this episode, forward it on to a friend, somebody else who would benefit from it and put your comments in, uh, in the notes if you're watching it on YouTube. Uh, we thrive off of your feedback. And now without further ado, my episode with these five wonderful guys that are a part of the Lone Atlas faculty. Well, well, well. What's up, boys? What's Good going on, Dan? What's up? Morning. How are we doing? 
Happy 2024. This will be aired in January of 2024. And this is going to be interesting to say the least. It's going to challenge my technical abilities with this whole spotlight thing and weaving you guys in and out and hopefully Craig using his mute button because of all the racket going on in the background for him. <laughs> but I want to start off the 360 experience in 2024 with bringing in just five superstars. I talked about you in the intro and I want to give each of you, you know, 10 minutes or so to just rock and roll and um, really excited to have you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for teaching the industry. And um, we're going to cover a vast array of topics. So we're going to start off with Craigie. I'm going to do this spotlight thing. Um, let's see, Craig. All right, Craigie. So look, you are you are known in your career for being a great non-realtor referral partner loan originator. And you have mastered several additional sources of business. And going into 2024, especially with the NAR stuff, with who knows what's going to happen with realtor commissions, et cetera, it seems to me that this is like an even more important time for originators to be focusing on non-realtor referral business. So what alternative sources of referral partners do you suggest? And let's get practical. Pick one of them after you suggest a few and go deep with us for a few minutes on how to go about pursuing them. Yeah, Tim, there's, there's several that, that um, I've really focused on and, I'll, and I'll, I'll pick one or two to go deeper on with the group here. Um, I, I certainly believe in light of what's going on with uh, the real estate industry right now and the lawsuits that are happening, it's, it's an uncertain time for the future. And we need to have our books of business diversified. And, you know, the large majority of loan officers I talk to, basically are getting their book, their business from either just realtor referral and then maybe some databasing uh, on top of that. In, in my mind, that's not enough. That's too many eggs uh, in one basket, especially if you have a very small group of agents you're working with. And I think the landscape for where referrals might come from, particularly on the real estate industry, might, might change significantly depending on how this plays out. And so I've always been a big fan of a diversified book of business, which would, of course, include realtors, but would include other things. I think one of the um, most uh, – uh, the biggest blue ocean strategy out there is the financial advisory community. There are uh, just thousands and thousands of financial advisors across this country. They regularly come in contact with people that want to borrow money or save money on their mortgages. People have a strong relationship with their financial advisors. So it is very much a warm referral that comes from them. Uh, and so I'll get a little deeper on that, on that group in a moment. Um, in this environment, uh, family law attorneys uh, are always a strong source because when people are divorcing, it doesn't really matter where rates are. Generally speaking, the agreement calls for somebody to refinance, and oftentimes there's two transactions to be had, someone uh, refinancing, someone moving. So the entire community of family law, which would include family law, uh, mediators, collaborative divorce, uh, all great opportunities to build relationships and gain referrals over time. Of course, as you're releasing this in January of 24, we can't neglect CPAs. Over the next three months, CPAs are going to regularly come in contact with every one of their clients. And in this uh, environment, they're often going to find people that maybe feel trapped in their home or want to buy their first home and don't find it affordable. So a huge opportunity to educate CPAs on different techniques, tactics we're using now to make homeownership affordable in this environment. Uh, a great tip for those folks who want to go uh, after CPAs or trying to develop that niche is to send the uh, CD from these past year's closings 
to your client's CPAs. It's a great way to get in front of them ahead of tax season with a note saying, hey, I know you're going to be doing the return for blah, blah, blah. Here's their CD from this year uh, and some tax tips related to the mortgage. So a great little thing you can do there to get introductions. That's a new space you're going into. And then finally, um, doing well by doing good. I believe in getting involved in local business organizations and on nonprofit boards, pursuing things that you like doing and want to be a part of. When you do that, you get the opportunity to develop, to demonstrate your competence to all of the folks in those rooms, and that will build their confidence in calling you the next time they need a mortgage. So a wide, a wide a swath of things you could be pursuing here on top of your realtor book of business. So let me just add, thank you. Let me add, number one, it couldn't be any more correct that you know, basically late in the year, say December, when people are doing some tax planning and trying to pair off losses with gains and talking to their CPA all the way through, you know, the end of spring, in addition to those CDs being sent out, I would be putting rates in front of CPAs on a weekly basis. I used to do that religiously, just a simple one page rate sheet. They are going to be talking to people, reviewing their financial situation. They want to you know, feel as if they are educated and having intelligent conversations with their clients. And if rates start to come down in the spring, which I do believe that they will start to come down, what better way to excite a CPA when they start to see on a week over week basis rates starting to drop? The other thing that I want to point out, and then I want you to drill down a little bit deeper and then we'll turn it over to the crew here to see if they have anything to add, <clears throat> is you've created a tremendous amount of great educational content with resources in the loan atlas on the subject matter of networking. And, and, and you touched upon it, like putting yourself into circles where, you know, you can become known, you're, you're volunteering on committees. I mean, you did a wonderful job in creating all those educational materials that the members of the Loan Atlas are going to benefit from. So let's pick just one real quick and maybe nail a couple of practical, tactical things that someone can implement on in the next five minutes for one vertical that you think that people should be going after. It's certainly a great time to get out there and plant seeds with regard to networking. And so, uh, you know, I, I would, I would, I would say that that's an excellent thing you could be doing very easily. Um, I'm going to focus on the financial advisor community because that's an even bigger opportunity. And there's just so much there. Um, everybody, you know, wants to save money on their mortgage, and uh, everybody, you know, is in a position where they're at some point they either want to own a home. Or, or move up out of their home. And financial advisors are constantly having these types of conversations with people. Most advisors talk about uh, offering holistic services, comprehensive financial planning, but what they're really doing is just managing the assets. They're not managing the liabilities, not looking at what strategies can be used with regard to mortgage and home equity management. Home equity is often one of the largest, if not the largest assets that a client has and advisors are not giving them tools to manage home equity, are not having conversations around deploying home equity in a responsible way, around building wealth uh, through uh, additional properties, generational wealth building through home buying, helping children with gifts. What are the implications of that coming out of the portfolio? So there's so many ways that we can add value to the financial advisor's team. And they all work with a CPA and a state planning attorney, but most of them do not work with mortgage people. So that's one area that I think is just a huge opportunity. The second piece would be with regard to general networking, and that's your business associations, your leadership organizations, and your nonprofit boards. Wherever you go, people want to save money on their mortgages or want to buy a home if they don't own one. So 
just being in this business is amazing because everyone is a potential prospect. So if you put yourself in positions where you're in, in front of large groups of individuals volunteering to do things, you're going, as I said before, you're going to demonstrate your competence and the referrals are going to come. Now is the time to pursue that. Making those all of those relationships now, the more relationships now, right, the one with the most friends wins, the more relationships you can create now, as rates start to drop, you will not be able to handle the flurry of refis that come your way. So this is the time to develop those relationships. First, first of all, dude, if you're going to use my quotes, you got to give me credit. Okay, that's number one, the loan officer with the most friends wins. Number two is that I just want to add, and then I see, I see that Metal's got something to say, and, and I'd love to hear from him. You know, right now is also a great time. Like if you look at it through the lens of financial advisors, I mean, they're looking to figure out ways to free up cash for their clients to dollar cost average in as a part of their overall financial planning strategy. Well, there's a ton of equity in people's homes. People have a lot of credit card debt. Um, we're probably not at, at the time of this recording in a place where it makes sense for a lot of people to do a debt consolidation loan, but HELOCs do make sense for a lot of people given where credit card rates are at. Talking to them about the strategies that could help free up capital and cash flow for their clients that they can then turn around and average into the market and invest with them as a solid strategy. I'm gonna see if I could do this cleanly. Let's remove the spotlight. Um, I wanna go over to Mr. Metal. Um, and see what he has to add. Craig, first of all, spot on. I love this strategy. And as I was listening to you describe it, what I was thinking was, as consumers, we think of our estate attorneys, um, our CPAs, and our financial advisors. These are occupations that hold the highest amount of trust. And so positioning ourselves alongside those the occupation so that we're getting those referrals, number one, is, is genius because it comes with a very high degree of trust in those professionals already. But secondarily, uh, to Tim's point, and I think you mentioned it with the flurry of refinances, which I have not seen in a very long time. I'm excited for that. But uh, you know, last week, the MBA came out and said that mortgage applications surged to its highest level in six weeks. And we just saw like a quarter percent improvement in interest rates. And all of a sudden, we see this huge increase in mortgage applications. Same thing happened in March. If you remember March of 23, rates came down about a half a percent and mortgage applications just absolutely surged. So we can forecast what's going to happen in the, in the first half of 2024. As mortgage rates come down, all this pent up demand that's sitting on the sidelines, I want to move. I want to get another bedroom. I want to do a home improvement. I want to get investment money. I want to do debt consolidation. It's all pent up. And as those rates come down, that'll thaw and people will start asking those professions that are highly designated who they should trust, who they should use. So this strategy right now has probably never been more valuable in my mind. And I'll just add, you know, you've got to know as an originator what are the thought prompter questions that need to be asked? You're the one who knows all the problems that you can solve. So taking an opportunity to sit back and say, all right, what are all the issues that I can solve for people? And who are the people that might know people who have those issues? I mean, that's a part of the strategic plan of being a great loan originator is, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that this type of business profession knows that I can do these types of things for their clients. And then this other type of business profession knows that I can do these types of things, so on and so forth. So we're going to go now to Mr. Osby, see if we can do this cleanly. I wouldn't bet on it, but we'll try spotlight and 
Well, what do you know? All right. We're on a little bit of a roll. Thanks for being on mute while you're, maybe you can unmute yourself for that applause, guys. I'm unmuted. All right, right on. Oh, 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 the group. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler, so besides having, you know, like one of the sexiest voices in the mortgage industry, um, you- uh, The OnlyFans page is just exploding. Yes, I'm sure. It's really carrying me through. I'm sure. So (laughs) listen, bro, you had a great year in 2023. I mean, one of the great years of any originator that I know, and I know a lot of really good ones. So I want to start with first you telling us what your production numbers were in 2023 and what percentage off that was, say, from a normal year. And then secondly, is I want you to dive into how you got in front of a lot of real estate agents, the one-to-many approach, um, because I know that that was a key, and I also know that the energy that you brought to those engagements with realtors, which you set that intention late last year to be a beacon of light, I want you to go into that stuff. So rock rock and roll, bro. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, I I think you're overselling it a bit. I feel It's funny, like when you uh, have really great years, your, uh, you know, level of what great looks like is like, not quite the same. So um, two years ago, we did like over 500 units. And then this year we'll do, we'll do over 200 units, which, you know, I I mean, feels like it's good considering. Um, So thank you for the compliment. I will receive it. Um, But when it comes to uh, my angle on marketing, I just knew that I, I sensed a lot of fear. People were afraid, um, agents specifically, they didn't know what to do. They needed somebody to lead them. (laughs) I mean, they just, they needed somebody to step up and lead them. And I was noticing that no one else was going to do it. Um, So I decided to be that person. Um, And I knew that everybody's business would be down in a market like what we're entering last year. And candidly, like even as this is playing, message still applies. Like it, you could do this in January and it's still very effective. Um, I'm, I'm planning to be doing this still in January. Um, but being a person who's just trying to create helpful conversations, be a person who gathers others uh, together to share what's working and be positive, you know, I, I think was key. Um, so hopefully that gives you some direction, at least is so what let, my thinking was. Yeah. Let's, let's go a little further with that. So I'm putting myself in the shoes of a listener right now. And there are a lot of listeners are saying, I don't know where to begin with that. Like what topics, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to gather some realtors together, like why do they want to take their time to hang out with me? What are the topics that I'm going to bring to the equation that they're going to be interested in? So what do you do to source those topics? Like number one, and then give us an example of some of those topics that you have found to be highly effective and have put people in the room because they have interest. Yeah. Well, so I think as I have more and more conversations with people, I have more and more of an idea of what keeps them up at night, you know? Um, so if, if you're not on the phone with agents, that's your first mistake. You're, you're not learning anything, you know? Um, so I, I think you've got to get comfortable with making those calls, checking in and just seeing how people are doing and ask them questions about what they're seeing in the market, you know, um, a topic that I never in a million years would have thought I'd do a conversation about was assumption, assumable mortgages. Um, and there was just so many people asking about it. I was like, I guess, I guess I got to learn about assumable mortgages. Um, and you know, that's what led that conversation. Um, you know, there's a lot of people right now as I'm talking to them, they're, they're telling me they're starting to make plans for next year. 
you know, I got to make decisions on what I'm going to do for marketing next year. And, you know, it, it, is the market going to turn, you know, they, they need some leadership in that area. So that's the next workshop topic is we're going to do a business planning workshop. Um, so it, for me, I'm always just trying to find, you know, a topic that is timely. And I know that people are talking about it because if I talk to one agent, chances are there's probably a lot of other people in the same position that we can kind of connect, you know, the same, same issue and get everybody in, in the room to talk about it. You know, I just uh, wrote down a note here that metal and I need to talk about offline with that business. Josh, that business planning tool that we've been going over that's in the loan atlas that is great for originators, we could create a version of that for real estate agents very easily for loan originators to take to realtors and teach a workshop and have them know their numbers and create action items for it. So that's going to be in my to-do list here really soon. So I want to point something out and then I want to go a little further with like, how do you approach yeah. them? I'm going to prime the pump here. So like, how do you approach them? How do you prepare for the workshop? How do you get people to come? But I want to point something out. Assumable mortgages. I want you to confirm this. There's nothing in that for you. Correct. And, and, and I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I think that's amazing. So you're teaching a topic that actually doesn't benefit you in any way, shape or form because if an assumption takes place on a mortgage, you don't get the deal. I'd have to imagine that that sends a very powerful message to the realtors that you're teaching it to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my goal is just to bring people together and be the leader of a conversation. Like that That in by default has really helped me in terms of, you know, positioning ourselves as people in our market that are just helpful. Like we're just, we're really just here as teammates to them trying to help them figure stuff out. Right. Um, so it, they, they lead the conversation of what we're going to cover. Um, we pick a topic and then we pick a date and we start inviting people. So for me, and I, I don't want to like gloss over that there's probably a lot of people who listen to this that may not have yet organized a database like at all. <laughs> right. Like if I say you need to circle the agents that are actively referring you, like you may not even have all of their contact information. Like I, I know there was a period in my career where I didn't even have name and phone number and email saved in like one easy to use place. So like that's step one. And if you don't have that, I'm telling you, you're missing out on a gold mine because the easier you can kind of filter your data of who you need to reach out to or invite to something, um, the more likely you are to execute on a lot of the ideas that you'll probably hear shared here in the group. Um, and it's so elementary and basic, but so many people don't do it. Um, so if you have not yet organized your data in a way that you can actually take action with it, that's the first thing you need to do is you need to go through your past years, loans and where they came from, Make sure you've got the contact information for where they came from. And you know that those are your top supporters. Those are people who are already referring business in the door. And those are the first people that I invite to every event is the top agents that have referred us in the last four months. And surprise, we, we easily have the data. Um, so those are the first people I call. And then I, I go with the three-prong approach. So I'll call them. I immediately text after the call. And then I send an email. And then I will follow up three days after that because these are my hot people. Like they, they know me, they like me, they trust me. They want to show up for me, you know? Um, so that's where I start. And then I start looking at all the transactions that I've worked on within the last year. 
Um, any agent that's been involved with us, they've seen our weekly updates. They've seen the process. They know what we do. Um, they already kind of trust us. So those are the other people that I invite to these. Uh, right now, it's mostly Zoom meetings. Um, and I and I get them invited in more of like a one-to-many way. I don't know how deep you want me to go into this. Um, but you know, we get a lot of new faces that I don't personally know super well that show up at the events because they got an invite. And then we make sure that once they come, they they get added to like the top tier list of people that we're going to try harder to get there because they're already kind of digging what we're doing and 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 they're already kind of bought into it. How many people do you get to an event? Just give us a quick snapshot when you do a live yeah, event. Yeah, in person, um, when we were doing them in person, mm-hmm. probably 30 to 40. Um, but uh, that's that's like after doing it for a while. And I want to give that a little bit of space to talk about that in a second. But for the Zoom, I mean, I've had anywhere from, I think, low 20s to um, we, we had one where we figured out Zoom has a capacity limit of 100. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, but we we had 150 people RSVP'd. I upgraded my Zoom package, but I did not create a new meeting code. And as it turns out, that's the catch is you have to, <laughs> I see metals reacting yeah. as brutal. Um, so anyway, it, the uh, the reality though, is I think it is more important that you just get the courage to do this. Like just just pick a date, pick a topic, show up. You know what? Or do we cuss on the uh, on the podcast? I forget. Yeah, Why not? Yeah. Why not? Um, it, it, if one person shows up, who the fuck cares? Because nobody else knows. Okay. And, and I have had many first time homebuyer workshops where I showed up and nobody showed up. And I would talk very publicly that I was going to be doing a first time homebuyer workshop and I'd show up and what the fuck? Nobody's there. And I did all the things right. Like I totally did. It didn't do it a whole lot differently than I do now. Um, so don't feel like it was a wasted effort if you don't have this huge, well, you know, Osby said he gets 30 people. If I only got 10, you know, this isn't something to be excited about. You fucking got 10 people in a room to talk to. Like that's, that's amazing. Um, I, I had workshops where I'd have one person show up and you know what? Like I had a, a in that experience as first time homebuyer, I had a client, like, it's kind of an awkward first date type of vibe because it was just me and them that showed up, but we, we still had the same opportunity to do the educational experience and all that. I, I just think that too often people don't take action on these ideas because they think, well, the way I heard it explained, there was such scale and, and there, there's a lot more people. Got to start somewhere. Just yeah. start doing it so you can make adjustments. I mean, this goes back to the presentation that I did in Park City, you know, a month and a half or, or so ago on the subject matter of perfection getting in the way of implementation, like feeling like you have to be perfect with everything. Um, and then you're subsequently not taking action on anything. All right. Well, we're just going to let we're going to let a, a little small version what a coincidence of Josh Burroughs speak right now. And then we're going to go to, uh, and then we're going to go to Ryan Grant uh, because they both had comments that they wanted to make. And, and I'd like them to add on top of what you shared. All right, let's go Burris and then awesome. uh, RG. Um, so one of the things I wanted everybody to think about too, is like, this can feel daunting. The, the task of trying to fill a room with real estate agents and referral partners. So one of the ways that I have found success, and trust me, I've had plenty of failures with it, but we've also seen a lot of success. One of the ways that we found success pretty easily was partnering with a local title company or a a local attorney who's well-known and has a large scope of real estate agents as well. And 
one of the biggest things that realtors want to see is not a loan officer talk. They want to see their peers who are successful talking. So one of the best ways that we've found to be able to fill a room is to create a small panel, maybe three to four people max, where you're one of the panelists and the title rep maybe MCs the event so that that the real estate agents are coming. The main draw is for them to see why the other agents are successful. You have questions that you lay up in advance so that they know how to really nail the question. And then you can interject as well so that people can see your professionalism. And you really start to increase the scope of people that you get to meet that way. And they also get insight as to why you're the professional that you say you are. And they really get to know you in a way that is, isn't something that's as direct as like, hey, I've never talked to you before. Come to my event because I want to tell you about you know the latest craze in the mortgage world. They don't care about that typically. So that is a really easy way and a frictionless way to be able to draw agents to you. Um, as Tim's always said, you know, you host one of these events and you want to draw people out, do it at a nice venue, spend a little money and have them create a reason to want to come out. I think Tyler gets so many people because I don't know what else you do in Iowa personally, other than go to events. So I think, I think that might've been a pretty easy job. Assumable mortgages. This week's topic, this week's topic, this week's topic, how to properly tip a cow. That's what we're going to cover. But <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, Great point, Josh. And we're going to go to you in a second, RG, um, and then we'll and then we'll move over to Burris for database management. But you know, think of it from the perspective of what I'm doing right now. That's all I'm doing is facilitating a conversation, adding a little bit of color commentary. That's not very hard to do. You as an originator can do that. And listen, if you really want to, you know, go to a next level with it, bring in a real estate agent that's like a top producer from a different market. Pay to, you know, pay them a thousand bucks to be there. Have a little bit of a budget. Maybe you split it with the title company and co-host it together. I mean, way back in the day, Terry Morler used to do this. I used to get her a lot of referrals. She'd go to different parts of the United States to speak to loan toolbox uh, members who would hire her to come in and speak in front of a room of real estate agents and teach. It's a brilliant strategy that, you know, a lot of agents would just be thrilled to have you put them up in a hotel, pay for their air, and have them, you know, have a nice, beautiful dinner, and maybe they bring their spouse with them in exchange for a couple of hours of teaching. RG, to you. Yeah, I think the, the one thing I would add, and I, I love what Tyler's doing, and I, you know, I, I also do a lot of what Josh was talking about, but you know, when you're in front of that room, um, a lot of problems that people have is extraction. Essentially, like, how do you extract business from the audience that's there? And what I found is creating scarcity works really well, right? And so when you're in front of that room, Ideally, you're going to impress the you know, 30, 40, 50 agents that are in that room. The key to create the follow-up, right? To, to get the one-to-one -one meeting with the agents that you want is to say, look, you know, if what you've heard here is helpful, if you think it would be helpful for your business, you know, please reach out. Um, I am, I do have to just state that I cannot be everything to everyone. I've tried that in the past and it's failed. Um, so I re really made a commitment that I can only be the right things to the right people. So if you believe that this is up your alley or you you know believe what we believe, you know, feel free to reach out. And the first people that reach out are the people that I'll, I'll have time to meet with. But, you know, if everybody wants to reach out, we're going to have to create a bit of a waiting list. And uh, I've done that in the past. And it, it creates a lot of demand for people to meet with you one on one, as opposed to just leaving it open ended. And, and nobody really knows what next step to take after all that great information in order to work with you or to connect with you. Um, so putting that at the end of the presentation, like a call to action with some scarcity creates a, a really great kind of tail to the, the one to many meetings. Yeah, that's such an important point. You know, like 
and, and seizing the opportunity at the door. Like, you know, there's a reason that Barry Habib always has a table at the door. At least he used to a long, a long time ago, because people have to walk by your table and you have to have a call to action to get them to stop. And you have to do that. If you're, you know, Greg Frost used to do this, um, with his first time home buyer seminars back in the day where he would make sure that there was some reason for those people to want to connect with him afterwards. Otherwise you could have a great event and then everybody forgets about you tomorrow. So we're going to go over to Burris. Um, and we're going to talk about database management and um i'm gonna see if i can pull this off boom we're on a roll now all right jo josh so database management my favorite topic um i think it's going to be really important in 2024 for you to have a deep connection with your database i think there are deals in there right now that people don't even know that they exist because they're not asking the right questions how important is database in data integrity, number one, um, and then talk to us about some of the opportunities that you see in 2024 that are available with, with one's database. Absolutely. Well, I think right now, specifically, where it is a bit slower and we've gone through a tough period of time, I think now more than ever, we have this incredible opportunity, right? Like we've been through the last two and a half years, or really, you know, two and a half years where we had this incredible run. And the only thing we could do was just process refinances and get some purchases knocked out. And now we finally have the gift of time. But if you don't utilize that time to really go through the planting phase of planting all these seeds with your past client database, really developing a relationship with them, and then making sure that you have all of their information up to date, as well as create an action plan for them, then you're really going to miss out when this next wave comes. I will tell you, you know, one of the parts of my job that I really get to see a lot is I get to see some on the secondary side. And I have never seen investors invest more capital in client retention than I have right now, which means every one of us needs to step our game up. So what does that look like? In, in my opinion, really, we have to start out by cleaning up our database. And that involves making sure that we have up-to-date addresses. We got to make sure that if they've got any new liens, we're aware of it. Got to make sure that we're kind of we're up to date on really where their values lie. And then we need to make sure like the basics, like Tyler was saying, we got to make sure we have their contact information uh, up to date. And what most people don't realize is there's a lot of really great systems out there that can do a lot of this stuff for us on an automated basis. So, for example, making sure that we've got their correct address, many of the sales boomerang or trigger alerts can provide that information for you. There's monitor based, our credit vendors are a great source. And then title companies are a, an unknown gem that we can really be able to extract a lot of data out for, uh, for free because they're always looking for business from us. So one of the ways they can help us is to provide that data for us. CoreLogic can run lien reports for you where if they've added a second lien and you didn't get made aware by a trigger report, you can now have that information so that when you're calling them and updating them, that you know exactly what's going on in the file. You can get updated values through HomeBot, HomeIQ, Zillow, Redfin, and those are more manual in its basis. But like, if you wanna take your database and send it to a company like CoreLogic, they can do a full-blown bulk version of a value update for you. So one of the things that I always get frustrated about is when I hear people talk about updating their database, they're like, oh, I just can't find the data, it's not out there. I can promise you, if you're looking for data in this environment, it's there and you're just not looking hard enough. So there's plenty of different places. The places I always start with as a baseline are like, go to your credit reporting companies, go to like a CoreLogic, and typically they're gonna have a lot of the data aggregation that you need in order to be able to really take care of it. 
So Tim, you know, you and I talk about an RG preaches this all the time. As an originator in this market, the most important thing is that we're creating value for people well beyond a transaction. And in order to be able to honor that commitment, you have to stay in touch with them. So all this clean data is for not if you're not staying in front of them and consistently touching base and having real conversations with them. In my opinion, all of the work that we need to do right now is clean up your database and then have meaningful conversations where you walk away with an action plan and the client walks away with an action plan so that you can react as soon as the market hits, whatever their target rate is, or if they know that they've got a kid coming for college or they know they've got high credit card debt, you have to have a script that's already in place for that client that they already know and that they pre-commit to so that when that event happens, you're pulling the it's Tim and it's time, right? You're, you're executing on the plan that you've already mutually agreed to so that when this window happens, you can fly through it and have unprecedented success. But also you're delivering on the value that you promised out of the gates so that you're not transactional. Um, I think that part to me, if you take away anything is, Spend the time now to go through and have those conversations and make sure that you're executing on it. And when that time comes, you better execute like you promised. Otherwise, that client isn't going to be loyal. Well, and and let's go a step further. I'm glad you bring this up because I think that what happens psychologically a lot, Josh, is people say that they're going to do something and then they don't do it. And then they're sheepish and they're embarrassed. So they don't contact the person anymore because they feel bad that they didn't live up to their agreement. They told them I'm going to stay in touch with you and they didn't for three years. So now they're afraid to call them at all. You got to just own that shit. You got to call them and say, Hey, look, I did not do what I said that I was going to do. And I want to say that I'm sorry. And I want to reconnect with you. And I want to help you. And here are some of the things that I need to know to be able to be proactive and making sure that we know of opportunities that come about in this coming year that, uh, that I would know about if I didn't make this phone call and establishing that strike rate is important and making sure that you're really once again creatively thinking through so i'm going to lob this back over to you like what are the opportunities so like if i'm sitting here in january of 2024 and i'm thinking ahead and i'm going all right what if rates hit five and three quarters now what what if that happened what what deals would there be out there in my database would it be debt consolidation? Would it be people actually wanting to refi and take cash out and add on? Would it be, would it create like, what, what are the th opportunities that one should be looking for right now, Josh, when they're calling their past clients and setting up that next deal? Yeah, I think it's really multiple, Tim. As we mentioned earlier in the call right now, in this very moment, the average interest rate, according to Forbes yesterday was on a credit card on a revolving credit card debt was 27%, right? So immediately, You've got potential options for home equity lines. We're also at high, national highs for debt levels and national highs for equity levels, right? So when we talk about like how financial planners are one of the most trusted you know, relationships that customers have, so many loan officers don't position themselves as a debt service manager, right? Where an asset manager manages the assets and we manage the liabilities. Well, if we're not actively having conversations with how to make sure that we best structure their liabilities, and then we're not executing on it, then we're not delivering on that promise. So what I what I find really helpful is you look for opportunities to potentially restructure their debt, but also there's a lot of people that bought homes within the last couple of years and it was incredibly fast paced. Like they had to go in with no contingencies whatsoever and many of them have buyer's remorse. So during these conversations, one of the things that we should be asking is, hey, now that you've lived in your house for two or three years, 
Is there anything that you would prefer that you wish you had in, in a house that you don't have now? So get them starting to understand what that dream could be and making sure that you have that conversation of, well, let's talk about what it would take to make that dream a reality. So that once it happens, you might create a deal for your agent to list a house and a deal for them to purchase a new one. So I think really those are the two main ones that are going to come up the most is a potential restructuring of debt and a trigger rate for it, or a potential to even just have a home equity line now to restructure some credit card debt and then do a cash out refinance when these rates drop to clean it all up, or potentially having a lot of people come off the fence and sell homes that they're potentially unhappy with. I'll go one step further and then I want to open it up to the rest of this crew to see if they have anything to add. You know, as every month goes by, you know, we're going to be, we're in 2024 now at the time of this airing. So what about the people who took out five one arms in early 2021 or late 2020 or mid 2020? Because there are people that did. It's starting to get closer and closer to those time when they're going to mature. So it's taking a step back. And I realize that this goes outside of database management. I mean, you may have some people in your database that you put into a five one arm, you know, three and a half years ago. Um, which by the way, if you did, I think you need to be reaching out to them say, hey, look, we got a year and a half left and create a little bit of urgency and I'm watching this. Now is not the time, but when it is the time, I'm gonna let you know. I mean, you need to be having that conversation right now, but also like strategically thinking, all right, what about all these credit unions that that put people like, Tyler, I know that you were losing deals to credit unions in Iowa. We were talking about yeah. that about a year ago. I mean, you know, you know, pulling from title trustees with credit unions with knowing with the high likelihood that those people have, you know, hybrid arms and, and that there's an ability to start having dialogue with those people about, hey, look, you know, when there is a window of opportunity to get you out of this risky loan that you're in, I want to be able to do that for you. So let me open it up to the crew here and see if anybody has anything that they want to comment on. I mean, this, this segues pretty well into my, my topic. So I'll I'll kind of save it for that. I just, I couldn't agree more with exactly everything that Josh said. So, Tim, I would just add that conversations just result in things happening. There's every single conversation you have with a past customer is, is some kind of opportunity for you and for them. And, you know, you can always add value by making a referral this time of year to a CPA if they don't have one, right? Do you have a good CPA? Yes great, would you, would you make a warm intro? No, can I introduce you to someone locally? I know, so there's, between the CPA, have you done your estate planning and your will, right? Do you have your financial planning set up? So there's always something you can help them with. You touched on HELOCs, you know, don't forget that rates on HELOCs more than doubled in the last couple of years. So some people have substantial HELOCs because they didn't want to move and deal with the hassle of moving, whether it was during the pandemic or after, since we've had a very tight market with inventory. And you've got to look at their total household debt rate, right? The household blended debt ratio to see what they're actually paying. Are they really just paying three and a half on the mortgage? Or do they have a $100,000 HELOC from that renovation they did, plus some car loans and credit cards and everything else? So are they looking at the right number when they're quoting out their interest rate? So there's all kinds of opportunity there to make referrals, to get referrals, and to just uh, find uh, future opportunities either now or down the road with them, and then to put those in your database. So every conversation is valuable, regardless of the client's current standing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to Metal in just a second because I wanna ask him to share um, like that marketing piece is an example that we were just looking at together over the weekend that's been going out to uh, to your crew and, and the success that you've had with that. But Craig, just to comment on what you were just saying, 
you know, loan originators are very used to selling rate because in a refi market, that's the sell. It's sexy, right? 2.625 was easy. You throw a two in front of something and you definitely want to be using that, you know, front and center in your scripting, right? But it doesn't work too well when you have a seven in front of it, okay? And at least in, at least after you've been at two. Um, but that's not the sell. Rate is not the sell right now. Payment is the sell. And you have to make that transition. You have to modify and adjust your scripting to talk about what their current payment is versus what their new payment would be. What would you be able to do if I could save you $487 a month? How could you deploy that to earn money off your money? How would that free up some capital for you to be able to, you know, pay for that private school for your kid, whatever the case may be. So metal, I'm going to just toss it over to you for a second, just to see if you would take a moment to just share with us um, what you've been doing from a marketing perspective with your crew as it relates to this. Yeah, we created a message that went out last week or perhaps it's going out this week that said that, you know, the title of the email to our database was some people are literally drowning in debt. And we just threw up a couple of statistics. Um, someone mentioned earlier that credit card debts are north of a trillion dollars in this country and an average interest rate. I think the credit card number that I saw was at 22%. Um, student loan payments have kicked back in. Home equity lines that we took out at two and a quarter are at nine and a quarter. And we just put a few bullet points in there and, and said, look, the, the, the industry and the market has changed. The, the, the leverage that we employed earlier in 2023 or 2022 at lower rates is now really painful. And there is a way out, right? So it's not your fault. The market has changed. There's a solution. And then we just created a graphic that was basically off the uh, MBS Highway Debt Consolidation Tool where we just showed, you know, you move from, from this mortgage to this mortgage, yeah, your interest rate's going up, but if we eliminate that $50,000 in debt with the corresponding payment, your outgoing expenses actually go down, and we kind of created a cool little graphic around it. Um, and then that turned into an email blast to our past client database, a still image graphic that our, our mortgage advisors used, and then we created a bunch of short-form video content around that, which we then boosted to our past client's audience um, through a custom audience and social media, Twitter posts, little videos on YouTube, and just getting that message out there that it's time to really start thinking about consolidating those things. Love it. I mean, when I saw what you created, I immediately fired that email back to you and said, is this working? And the reason that I asked that was because I got excited because I remember how it used to work for me 20 years ago, you know, and it, it, for me, it was like literally handwriting envelopes and 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 mailing that letter out to people but it worked it would get me two three deals a month when i'd send out like a thousand so my my batting average is pretty decent from a direct mail perspective so thinking along those lines folks about where do people have pain right now how can you solve the pain and going old school and distributing with email and or direct mail just a, a simple one page letter that speaks to their pain and offers the solution to their pain will be highly successful for you so now we're going to go to RG and um, what I want to talk with you about, bro, is let me get you on camera here. So now I just have RG and I'll, I'll get myself back on here sooner or later. Um, there we go. So leadership is a big topic for you. And many people listening to this conversation have 
have probably heard you speak on the topic and and it's never been more front and center for you uh, than it has been over the last year and a half or so when when people have really needed a shot in the arm and their confidence is waning and confidence is a like your favorite topic so i want you to just let's just roll man just talk about confidence how does one gain confidence how important is it speak to the topic of confidence going into 2024 so people can really seize this very very important mindset yeah tim the question we ask a lot of people you know whether it's through our coaching or in our group is you know you need to understand your value to the marketplace um, and I think a lot of what you've heard here thus far, you, know, you can tell these guys are highly confident because they're highly valuable to the marketplace, right? The way that, you know, Craig can sit with any financial planner or, you know, any financial mind in the country and go toe to toe, the way that Tyler can speak on multiple topics in front of a big group of audience, the way that Josh, you know, understands how to connect and add value to his database. These are all things that create a level of, of value that should create confidence. The problem is what I see is we have a lot of people who believe they're valuable in the mortgage industry that are not acting like it, right? They're, I say, imagine, you know, you, you line up the top 100 mortgage professionals in your market, right? And not based on production, because there's a lot of people that can produce a lot of loans um, that aren't actually all that valuable, right? They're just good at marketing and getting loans closed. I'm talking about the people who can, you know, legitimately change the lives of their clients and their business partners, and they can they can add substantial value at scale. And I say, so where would you rank yourself among those 100 people? Like again, not production based on value. And oftentimes I get top 10, top five, number one, number two. It's rare that I hear someone say, "Oh, I'm you know number 100," or I'd probably be in the middle somewhere. Everybody really believes that they're valuable. The problem is they're not showing up as the number one or the number five or the top 10 mortgage professional in their market, right? They're, they're hiding behind email. They're, you know, staying in their office. They're making a few phone calls. They're taking what comes to them. They're not doing the things that a confident financial professional would be doing, which is standing out front and saying, look, I have a lot of solutions to the magnitude of problems that exist today. And that's why I just, I love this community, right? Because everybody we've heard of thus far has that level of confidence. And I believe there's a, a real mental health problem in the mortgage industry that not a lot of people are talking about. Um, because for some reason we've, well, not for some reason, I know the reason, but so many of us have created our self-worth based upon our net worth. Right. And how much money we have been able to make over the last, you know, from 2019, 2020, essentially from 2010 on. Right. It just happened to get really uh, aggressive in the past, you know, 2021, 22, 23. And now that's gone. Right. Like you heard Tyler say earlier, you know, it it's hard to define what a really good year is when you've had years where you helped over 500 families. Right? Whereas if that never happened, helping over 200 families would be an incredible year for almost anybody. And we're letting our our bias of what I would consider an anomaly of a few years, right? we're letting that bias tell us that we're not as good as we, we thought we were, right? or that we're not as worthy as we think that we, we were at one point. 
Um, and that is a confidence killer, right? And that it, it keeps people paralyzed. It keeps them in their chair. It keeps them behind their computer. It keeps them from standing out front. And there's very few people that are going to do that, but it takes a, a confidence in knowing your value to stand out front and say, I got this, right? Like I'm going to help this community move forward. So let me ask you a question. That's incredibly well articulated and no surprise. So what I want to do is summarize real quick and then ask you a follow-up question. So what I'm hearing you say that I think is really profound is that what we're measuring ourselves, the belief that we buy into as to what the definition of success is. So we have a couple of years in a row where you're doing three, 400 loans in a year or you know, 15 deals in a month. And, and now that becomes your definition of success. Your identity is tapped into that. And then all of a sudden you go from 15 a month to two a month and you're deeply depressed and frustrated and stressed and you're waking up every day and that measuring stick that you have the 15 loans a month you're not even getting close to it so that's what i'm hearing you say is the problem okay so how does one reverse engineer that and what if you could concisely articulate what is confidence like how is confidence built you know, um, and, and, and maybe give us some practical next steps as to what one could do if they're sitting here listening, going, yeah, man, that's me. Like I have definitely taken a hit in my confidence and I need to rebuild it. What, what do they need to do? Yeah. Confidence is not a state of, of knowing, right? It's a state of doing, right? It's the experience that you draw from that creates that ongoing confidence. And so a simple thing would be, you know, calling your database and having really good conversations. And then every one of those conversations creates an added layer of confidence for the next call and for the next call and for the next call, or, you know, reaching out to your business partners and, and meeting with them and doing business planning or, you know, getting up in front of an audience. Like Tyler said, I I've done plenty of, you know, massive presentations to one people, right? So like there's literally one person in the room, but it was a big presentation to me. But then next time five people showed up and then 10 people showed up and then 20 people showed up and then, you know, you get on a stage full of, in front of a thousand people. Confidence comes from doing, right? It's not, a, you can't just snap your fingers and get it. You have to work towards it. And, and, momen and, and momentum is a big part of that. A thousand percent, right? Like momentum creates the, it makes hard work easier, right? Because when you're failing over and over and over again, Chemically, your brain creates less testosterone, which makes hard work really hard. But when you start winning, right? That's why we, we all worked 20 hours a day in 2020, but it didn't feel like it, right? Because you were just win after win after win after win. So like we were working hard, but it didn't feel like hard work. Now hard work feels really hard, right? Because we don't see the results as easily. And so we have to tap into the activity. Right? And then we have to utilize our experience of that activity to make the next one better. But stagnancy or like staying still or being paralyzed, it's just unacceptable. It's not going to solve your problem. It's going to make it worse. And, and I think one of the biggest reasons that people don't have confidence is because now more than ever, they're feeling like an over commoditized product. Right? There is more mortgage professionals than there are people who want mortgages. And because of that, it's creating massive margin compression. It's creating massive price comparison. And if people aren't the lowest rate, they're losing the deal because they're not equipped to know what their real product is. 
And that becomes real hard when you start losing deals and you only have one or two of them, then you, it, it's a mental downward spiral. Yes. And I, and I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about a phrase that I've heard many, many, many years ago. Now it's, it's about small victories. So what you're talking about when you're back to the momentum piece. So like what you're talking about when you're saying like, if it's calling five past clients in your database and having just a meaningful conversation, detaching from the result being, I got a deal and attaching to a new definition, which I want to get to Burris in a second. Cause I know he wants to talk about this and, and just having those three to five small victories every day. So you can look back on your day and you go like, you know what? I'm really proud of myself that I got that done. That's going to give you the little bit of bounce in your step versus constantly being focused on the things that didn't happen. But let me switch over here to, to, to Burris, because I have a feeling based upon our podcast episode, he's going to have some things that he wants to share. Let's add him in. I'm going to kick you out, RG. See you later, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys Josh. hit the nail on the head, Tim. With the, the, my first thought went to, if you're feeling stalled out and you're depressed and you're feeling any of these emotions that so many of the originators these days are feeling, the fastest way to get out of that, in my opinion, is to create a set of tasks that will be valuable to your business, but that you know you can do. And it's like saying, I wanna go run a marathon. I'm not gonna start out training 26 miles, right? I'm gonna start out training at two, and then at three, and then at four. So we wanna try to build confidence in money-making by utilizing money-making activities. But in addition to that, this is a really big, important time to focus on your physical health, because that can drive so much of your mental health. So if you can focus on trying to really create some goals that have actionable steps that you can take in the first 30 days, it's really going to help to create momentum. And then momentum builds confidence. And then confidence is what's going to draw referral partners to you. And I really feel like it all starts with how healthy, like how healthy you can feel inside, and then really trying to create some simple tasks that you can do every day, and then build upon that so that you get stronger and stronger every day. Let me go. Uh, let me go to the rest of the crew here. I got to get myself out of this spotlight thing. There we go. So I want to go around the horn real quick before we close out with Josh Metal Hit and Cleanup. What's one thing? I think this is such an important topic that that RG and and Josh just hit on. Like, what's one thing that you would suggest that someone commit to doing? Small victory on a consistent basis going forward to start off 2024. Burris, you just started us off with taking good care of your health. RG, you talked about calling certain number of people in your client database and just having a meaningful conversation. Which one of you guys would like to throw in another idea? I mean, I can go. It, oh. I think everybody listening knows there's at least one thing that they've been dreading doing, but they don't want to do it. It makes them scared. Um, and I, I would say just do it scared. There's a really good quote from uh, Carl, Carl White, who I know you know, um, and, and he, he took it from somebody else. So I don't know the original quote, um, but it, it was, uh, you know, peeing your pants when you're scared is, is normal, right? But courage is doing what you need to do with wet pants. It's a variation of that quote. And uh, I think it's a really good quote because, you know, it, it there's a lot of stuff that we do that isn't, you know, it's not complicated, but it's scary. And uh, you got to kind of do the scary thing to see a lot of progress. So I really like the rest that RG just went on. <laughs> 
Um, well, I feel like you just were speaking biographically to me because as I'm getting older now, I'm finding that I'm having some dribble after I go to the bathroom. So I've been walking around with wet pants a lot. But let's go to Craig or Josh and see which one of you do. Picking up on what, what, what some of the guys have, have alluded to, I think redefining what winning looks like is critical going into the new year. And just you know, taking control of your day and deciding if these things occur today, that is a win. I may not feel it economically today, but remember, you know, 19, 20, and 21, those were just basically three years worth of, of, of commissions all advanced forward, right? And now we're in that sort of payback period. Those, those, those refi markets in the lower rate environment will come again. Right. So don't think about it in terms of this year versus next year. Think about it getting market to market. And what does winning in this market look like? And winning in this market involves having conversations, doing the activities, getting out from behind your desk and being present out there. The, the one other thing I'll add is just a morning routine makes a huge difference. Getting your mindset correct before you head into the office or your home office makes a huge difference in how you will approach your day and what you will and your chance of being successful on that day. Thank you, Craigie. Metal, you got anything for me? Totally nailed that, Craig. Yeah, um, I don't think it's ever been easier or, or we've ever had more reasons to call our database, um, have deep conversations with new prospects, and to reconnect with realtors. Because what's the common denominator? They're all afraid. If you just looked at the news that came out yesterday from Diana Olick talking about the new home sales and existing home sales hitting you know, lowest levels in 30 years, people don't know how to decipher that information. All they do is re react like a hermit crab and, and pull back into their little shells. And that creates the opportunity in all of that fear that creates the opportunity for us to step in, have conversations, add value, and decode what that stuff actually means. So, yes, exactly what you said, Craig. And it's never been easier because there's never been more bullshit in the media about what's going on in the housing market that we have the ability to decode for them. Okay, and then I'll add one final thing, um, and then we're going to wrap up with you, Josh. I would be in 2024 picking a time frame. It could be every two weeks. It could be every week. It could be once a month, although I think once a month's too infrequent, where I would be sending something of value to every referral partner that I'm targeting. Now, what does that mean? That could be like, I would, I would be taking a step back and doing a little bit of strategic planning around this. Like what, what sources do I have? Well, I've got Ted talks. I've got books. I've got podcasts. I've got articles. It could, it could be a variety of different things. And what are the topics that everybody would find to be valuable? I mean, my goodness, in the loan atlas itself, if you go to personal discipline number one, which is just all personal development, and, and then you go to personal discipline number two, which is all time management, every single thing in there is applicable to every referral partner that you have. Every single thing. You could just go in there and print the transcripts and modify them with AI a little bit and then just put put something in front of them on a consistent basis, put your name in front of them and brings value to a pain point that they have. I used to do this religiously with the business boosters and the gift of knowledge interviews and loan toolbox. And oh, by the way, um, we will be evolving loan Atlas into providing those types of materials for you as well, but don't wait, start doing it now. It's not that hard to do. Um, let's go to you, Josh. And, you know, I, I think that, um, 
I think that for you, the one thing that, that I know just from our friendship and, um, the conversations that we've been having as we've been creating a lot of content for loan Atlas, um, you know, you've been, you've been, you have the, the benefit of wisdom of having been through some tough markets. I mean, this isn't your first rodeo. And uh, I, I, I know that you're passionate about being prepared when you go into a tough market and being nimble and, and, and ready to capitalize when the market turns. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about both of those positions, like about how do you make sure that you don't get your head chopped off again, you know, like a lot of people have. And then secondarily, you know, what do you think's coming and how do you, how do you prepare for it to be able to fully capitalize on the opportunity? Well, I remember in 2008, Tim, we had gone through a, a, an incredible run from about 2003 to 2008. I was with the same company and the average income in that office was north of 250,000 to 500,000. And as we went into the great recession, uh, the owner of the company and I walked around the mortgage floor of that mortgage company, and every single loan officer had had a foreclosure, a short sale, or declared bankruptcy within 24 months. And I was walking around with him in just awe, going, you know, bankrupt, foreclosure, short sale, out of the business. And I, I, I thought to myself, how is it possible that we could have gone through this epic run from call it 2002 to 2008 or 2009, because the Great Recession hit Utah very late. And, and there's such an incredible, abundant period of time for us to save money, prepare, create um, additional revenue streams that are cash flow that can get us through tough times. And out of this entire office, two people made it through without one of those terrible outcomes. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be in this situation again. I, I made it by the grace of God by like one paycheck away from, from bankruptcy and foreclosure and losing 63 rental properties at the time. But I made it. And I, I told myself at that point, this is going to happen again. This is not going to be the only uh, great recession. There's going to be another pullback. And I am going to be damn sure that when I go into the next one, my family and I are not going to feel like we're feeling right now going into the Great Recession and just barely making it. And I'm not going to be like everybody else who was forced out of the industry or, you know, had to give up properties and assets when there's the next pullback. So for me, that's been a, a great motivator. You know, I've shared with you and, and, and others publicly that I was raised in the welfare system. You know, um, um, I, I watched my mother buy groceries with food stamps. Um, we got public assistance from the local churches. And while at the time that was really kind of traumatic for me, um, it was the greatest gift that anybody could have ever given me in retrospect, because I got to feel um, very fearful around money. And that fear around money, that scarcity created this incredible motivation in me and this incredible curiosity to learn about money to learn about what's the difference. How is it that we don't have enough food in the fridge to make it through the day and somebody right next to me is driving a Porsche and there's a building that's about 80 stories high. Where does all that money come from? Like I was just fascinated at that, at that contrast, that dichotomy between wealthy and not wealthy at a young age. And so it, it put me in kind of an interesting position that as I grew up and grew a family, um, I was really gravitated towards the things that could prepare me for these types of, of downturns. That's 
that's an important segue to, so you went into, as we, as we've discussed many times, I mean, the last year and a half have, have not been that stressful for you because you had positioned yourself properly to be able to, you know, to not, not have to worry when rates went up because of the experience that you went through back in 2007, 2008. So for the listener, you know, and this goes back to what RG was talking about and what Josh was talking about, about mindset. It's like, okay, so the last year and a half sucks. You could look at it through that lens or you could say, oh, the last year and a half is my great teacher because I I will, I'll do what Josh did and I will never let this happen again. And I will never get complacent and assume that as Craig was talking about that when I get paid, you know, three years in advance, because I have this booming year that that means that, oh, I could just go out and buy a new house and a new Porsche and buy a boat and all these types of things. So what do you see going forward? Let's, let's talk about 2024. What do you see as the prudent positions that people should be putting themselves in when it comes to this, well, this position of, of personal finance? Yeah, and as you've positioned it, I think this is a massive opportunity if we take action and if we position ourselves right. Um, I, I think there's three reasons, first of all, before I get to that, why the vast majority of people fall short of becoming wealthy. The first reason is something that Robert Kiyosaki so eloquently explains in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he calls it the rat race. And the rat race is essentially this battle between fear and desire. And and Robert talks about it as, you know, we we get a job because we we need to feed ourselves and we need a roof over our head. And so we have have fear that if we don't get a job and we don't make money that we're, you know, not going to be able to provide. And then we go out and we we start uh, selling ourselves and we start becoming a, a great mortgage advisor and we start getting stacking up our pipeline. And before one of those loans even closes, just as the pipeline is starting to expand, desire kicks in. We go to the restaurant and all of a sudden we start ordering the prime beef. We we order the French or Italian wine instead of the Oregon wine. We start spending well, that money I mean- that. The Italian, well, that, the Italian wine is better than the Oregon wine, that. though. So, I mean, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I needed a carve out there. We have to reward ourselves. We just have to pick the really awesome rewards. Not all, you can't, can't get everything. So, we start spending that money in our minds before we ever even bank the money. And then we spend the money on depreciating assets. And then we go, oh crap, I spent all the money that I just created. Now I have fear kicks back in and I got to go back to work. And so we've created this cycle, this rat race as Kiyosaki uh, describes it, that is fed by our human emotions of fear and then desire, which causes us to spend that money. That's the first thing. That's the reason why most people, one of the three reasons why most people don't get wealthy. The next reason is that 50% of our income, once you figure, uh, goes to taxes, once you figure federal state, you live in the state of California, Tim, you've got those beautiful state taxes, gasoline taxes, alcohol taxes, property taxes, like added up all of the things that are taxed, half of our our income is gone. So if we didn't spend it on stuff that we really didn't need, and we didn't lose it in taxes, well, then we also have to worry about inflation. If we go back to 1971 and compare the value of a dollar, the dollar has 98% 98% less buying power in 2023 than it did in 1971. So we've got all these things working against us. We have the emotions of fear and desire that causes us to overspend. 
We have taxes that are taking away the mass majority of income. We're thinking, hey, we've got this huge pipeline. All this money is going to come to us. No, you're only going to get out 50% after all the taxes. And then what's left, we end up losing to inflation and the erosion of the value of dollar over a long period of time. So I share that with you because there's just a lot of headwinds that, that make it very hard for people to become wealthy. So let me get back to your question about, all right, well, how do we use this information to position ourselves in 2024? I believe 2024, if you've done the work that these guys have described, is going to be an incredibly abundant year. And as our pipelines start to grow, I believe that the desire and fear uh, uh, emotions will kick in and we'll start to go, oh my gosh, my pipeline's getting bigger. I can start spending more money. I can buy the new car. I can finally move to the new house. And we can, between taxes and that, those emotions of spending, we can make it through 2024 and we will be no better off from a financial position. We'll be no better off in terms of preparing for the next downturn than we are today. So my, what I would offer is rather than deciding uh, or falling victim to what you're going to spend, the earnings that I think you're going to make in 2024, which I think will be very abundant, decide on what your investments are going to be for 2024. How are you going to make yourself more wealthy? How are you going to put a moat and a freaking wall around your family in 2024? So when the next downturn comes, you don't have to worry about it because you've got enough cash flow, you've got enough assets, you can sail through that thing. So for me, like super tactically, Tim, I know in 2024, I'm going to, you're going to love this. I'm going to double my allocation to Bitcoin. Uh, I've been doing Finally. a lot of, <laughs> I have a slow Jesus. learner, but I do learn eventually. <laughs> That's that's on my that's on my list, and I'm going to buy another building. Like those are goals; those are going to happen in 2024. So when I have that kind of intention for the year ahead, my reticular activator is kicking off all the time, and I'm going, "How am I going to do that? How am I going to get that many more Bitcoin? How am I going to buy another building? How am I going to get the resources, the partners, the opportunities to do those things?" And my mind is set on that intention of how I'm going to grow my wealth. So that I don't slip and start allowing myself to overspend on things accidentally, because that is where our emotions will take us. If we don't have a plan. Yeah, let me. That's so brilliantly articulated, and I know that uh, we, we have a few more minutes. I'm going to see what Tyler has to say in a second, but I want to. I want to really. Um, First of all, acknowledge you because you're such a terrific teacher on the subject matter of, of investments and money and budgeting um, and the content that you're creating for the Atlas and that t and that you. category is so valuable. And the stuff that you do for the L360 family to help us and learn you know, from you is, is really valuable. And I'll just add that if you don't know what your budget is, that needs to be a goal of, of, of 2024. Yeah. Like how, what is your nut? Like how much does it cost for you to live your life? I go through that process every single year and every single year when I go through that process, I'm always finding things. I'm like, I don't need this anymore. I don't need that anymore. You know, like this, this $49 a month subscription. I forgot that I was even paying that. And before you know it, I've saved three, $400 a month by just getting rid of things and continually recalibrating. And if, if you know what your budget is, and then you can set these goals that Josh is talking about to, to, if I have a better year than I did last year, I'm going to take that extra money. I'm going to create more wealth opportunities for me and my family long-term rather than, you know, blowing it on another toy. That's how you get yourself to a point where 
you're not stressed out and you can you can live off of off of your investment. So let's go to to Tyler real quick uh, to, to close this out, because I know that you said that you wanted to share something. I'll wait for you to add me, maybe. Or... <laughs> I mean, just just you're getting patient. really good at this. I am, dude. Go ahead. You are. <laughs> so the what what had me thinking is when metal was talking about income creep because i i think that happens to everybody like you know you see people making a lot of money and you kind of dream about oh man when i make that kind of money i know what i'm doing you know and it's always on the consumption side um but i it reminded me of a conversation that we were having um in utah rg had mentioned i think we've gotten to a point as an industry where we kind of, because things have been so good over the last couple of years, we've almost gotten too good to, to do the things that made us successful to begin with. Like, it's almost like going to the open houses is below us or, mm-hmm. you know, wh- whatever the example is, there's a million examples. Um, and as we talk about the habits and, you know, I mean, you going through your finances to say $49 on a subscription is a meaningful example, right? It, that's, that's a habit. You, you just do it. And it's a habit that you've had for many, many years. Well, people who are finding success in this market right now, they're still doing the fundamental habits that originators that have been successful for many, many years are doing. And they didn't let that success that they had that was, frankly, kind of the market's fault. Um, they, They didn't let that create an illusion that they could stop doing those things. So it, much like metal was making the connection of like, you know, it, to build a moat around yourself financially, I think to build a moat around your business, you have to have a business that runs doing the fundamentals every single day. And, and candidly, like it's not always sexy stuff. Like going out to open houses on a Sunday is probably not at the top of my list, but you know where people who are buying houses are at, they happen to be at open houses too. So it's a good thing to start trying to think a little bit like a rookie, if you will, um, to to do those activities that help you build that. Mode. That was the connection I wanted to make because Metal reminded me of that. You know, I, I, as he was saying that, I was thinking there's a lot of things that I do in my business that, you know, I've kind of candidly, I'm a little annoyed that I have to do it sometimes. Um, but also like that's, I think it's just the fundamentals. It's what you got to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, reading your own press clippings and buying into the story that, hey, I've elevated forever for more above having to sling loans is a trap, right? Because that market will turn and you will need to get back to slinging loans. Um, I want to uh, take everybody, bring us all together and just say thank you. I mean, this was, first of all, just amazing to be with five of my friends. Um, and then secondly, is I just really love the flow of it, especially the, the technology part of it. I mean, I, I want to give myself <laughs> props for doing an excellent job. <laughs> and, uh, figuring it out. <laughs> figuring it out. Exactly. Um, man, thank you guys so much. And, and, um, let's, I, I really do feel that 2024 is going to be a much better year than 2023 for, for anybody who at least puts their head down and does the right things. Um, and I'm looking forward to everybody having some abundance this year. Awesome. Amen. Thanks for Get this. after it, everybody. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks a lot for tuning in, everyone, and um, hope that you have a great day. Bye-bye.